Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, November the 21st, 2022. It's been a bit of a hellish day, ongoing, never-ending. And speaking of hell, <laughs> I just did a show with the horror writer, the horror novelist, Paul Tremblay, the author of a hit new book, The Palbearers Club, a novel about death and decay and hell. Um, and we talked a little bit about hell in our conversation and the way it's represented. And one of the things that came out was that hell is always or mostly represented in terms of fire and heat, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we also did a show a couple of months ago with another novelist who also represents hell in her work, Claudia Lux. She imagines in her new book, um, Sign Here, which also has a hot devil in it, uh, a hell in which there's only Jagermeister to drink, a German beer, <laughs> and the devil is a corporate bureaucrat. But in both contexts, hell is represented very much in terms of heat and fire. And we're turning all this on its head today. Rather than talking about heat and fire and hell, we're talking about ice. My guest today on the show, Fred Hogg, is based in Thailand, of all places, to write about ice. And uh, he has a new book out of Ice and Men, how we've used cold to transform humanity and... Um, Paul is joining us from a very warm Chiang Mai. Uh, Paul, in your, um, uh, not Paul, uh, Fred, in, in, your, um, in your research into ice, did you look at the literature of Eskimos? I wonder if they imagined a hell full of ice or heat. Why is it, do you think, that we always represent hell in terms of heat and fire? <sighs> That's a very interesting question. Um, I, 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 I did read a lot of, 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 of stuff in the research about, about the Inuit and um, primarily because I, I wanted the first chapter to be about surviving in the cold and um, used the, the, the fabled uh, Franklin expedition as, as my sort of main way into that. But I'm, I, I must confess, I, I know nothing about their concepts of, of hell and damnation. Um, but I, I imagine for them, a, a, a fiery, fiery inferno of hell would be, would be, would be simply awful. <laughs> well, I'm guessing you know, for you, uh, Fred, um, in warm Chiang Mai, you mentioned earlier in the relatively cool season, but it's still hot there. We can hear the birds chirping in the background. Why yes, did you decide noisy. to do this book about ice? Um, it's an unusual project. You're a professional writer. You've written a lot of books, mostly for other people. Um, mm -hmm. What is it about ice that you find so interesting, apart from living in such a hot climate, that I'm sure you're perpetually in your fridge getting beer and cubes of ice? And diet <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> the initial um, pull into the project, um, I was... I was helping my wife out while she was um, teaching a cookery class back in London when we lived there. 
um, and was making cocktails for the, for the for the clients. And I happened to comment that um, the cocktail cocktail wouldn't really exist without ice. And one of the punters said, "Prove it." Um, so I tried, and <laughs> that was really how it all began. Um, you mean you tried I, to make a cocktail without ice? Well, th there are a few recipes for cocktails without ice, which generally the hot ones like hot buttered rum or a whiskey toddy and all the rest of it. But generally speaking, ice is in integral to, to the mixed drink. Um, the whole concept of the American bar around the world is, is, is predicated upon its use of ice. Um, and I found that kind of interesting. It's like, when did ice get into the cocktail was my first question. Um, and it's, it's still not definably answerable, which is quite frustrating. Um, the first uh, writer of, 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 of cocktail recipes, Jerry Thomas, published his book um, about barkeeping in 1869. And he says one thing about ice. He says, um, ice must be washed before it is used. And that's it. So already it's a commonplace by that point. Um, and this is quite staggering um, in, in many respects. I mean, you know, you're make, mixing drinks in... New York, California, New Orleans, um, and... Well, there's more to ice, though, Fred. I mean, you're an Englishman, so you may disagree with this, but there's more to ice than just cocktails. Um, oh, of course. Your, your book... I couldn't get a whole book out of it otherwise. How, uh, I like the subtitle, uh, How We've Used Cold to Transform Humanity. Um, in addition to the cold cocktail or the cold bottle of beer... Uh, mm -hmm. What else? What are the, the, the key things that we've used cold to do to transform ourselves? Well, the, in the first place, um, a, a lot of the transformation is about nutrition. Um, having cold, having refrigerators and, um, and, and the like in most homes around the world um, has transformed our ability to feed ourselves in ways that are... Um, Extraordinary. And it's, it's no um, accident that um, since we started using refrigeration, our population has exploded in ways that we are, are simply staggering. I was reading an article just the other day that the eight billionth person was born last week. Um, and eight billion of us on this planet. It, it, it's a staggering, staggering number. And a lot of that is down to how we're yeah, um, Thomas Malthus. Uh, Thomas Malthus would have been, I think, entertained or probably in some ways troubled by the refrigerator or by its appearance. Is um, is is the appearance of the domestic refrigerator is that the key event in terms of people being able to actually have a fridge in their own uh, homes? Because I mean, there was always ice at some point, especially for the wealthy and powerful, wasn't there throughout history? Oh, absolutely. I, I, ice has been used by humans since the very dawn of civilization. The first uh, reference we have to, to people using ice actually comes from ancient Sumer in what we now call Iraq, um, you know, a, a staggering number of years ago in, in the very first city. So I, ice has always been there. Um, but as you say, it was very much the preserve of the wealthy. Um, and, you know, while you know you look at um 18th century london and ice creams and 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 cold confectionery 
is hugely popular in, in, in that era. It's very much the preserve of, of the rich. I, I, I sort of crack slightly wise about it in the book um, where I say, basically, if you couldn't afford servants, you probably couldn't afford ice cream back then. Could, could, you, uh, could historically, was ice, could ice have been used as a form of air conditioning? I mean, of course, the invention of the air conditioner, along with the invention of the domestic refrigerator, is profoundly revolutionary, particularly in 20th mm. century America and the South. Was um, in very hot climates, was ice used as a kind of air conditioning pre-industrially? Not pre-industrially, no. Um, I People start there's a guy uh, called John Gorey, who's one of the first inventors of the, of, of the fridge. And he was a doctor in Florida, um, specializing in um, tropical diseases, particularly malaria. And he used to suspend ice blocks um, in sort of hammocks in uh, above his, his patients to try and cool them down and found that to be very efficacious. Um, excuse me. Also, um, we do have evidence uh, from, from Turkey going way back into the 13th century of people using ice in a medical context. Um, and um, we know that uh, Napoleon's battlefield surgeons would use ice to try and stent, um, stop bleeding in um, particular contexts in the retreat from Moscow and, and, and those kinds of things. But in, in, in terms of air conditioning, um, not so much, I think, is. Is the best answer. You, one, one that, of the... uh, you know, in addition to your interest in in the cocktail, is the invention of air conditioning the most revolutionary thing in terms of using cold that allows us to live in places like the deep south in America, which previously were relatively unlivable? I would say absolutely to that. Air conditioning has changed. Um, where we live, how we live, and to staggering degrees. I massive population shifts. Um, you're just looking at the United States. Uh, before the in invention of air conditioning, generally people would, would move from south to north. Um, uh, but after once air conditioning happens, you know, there's the, a massive move of people southwards. I, I'm changing population balances it, it, to, to a staggering degree. Po Florida, for example, um, population has boomed since the concept of air conditioning. Um, you know, you have almost entire air conditioned cities now in the southern states. Is this, um, in your mind, universally good? No, I don't think everyone, particularly uh, in America, would necessarily celebrate the invention of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we could... Um, oh. Lop it off and forget it. I don't think that many people would be unhappy. Well, well, you'd, you'd, you'd lack a certain number of oranges if you did that. That's um, true. I, I, I think I, I, what's good and what's bad. I mean, it, 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 I, I, I try not to be too judgmental in that regard. Um, you know, I, it, it's more important to say that these things happen and then try to understand what the consequences of that happening might be um <clears throat> in 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 the case of, of of florida and air conditioning certainly you know there's an argument to be made that it's fundamentally changed yeah and we're going to talk um, obviously about the environmental consequences and how we're addressing that you're 
Your book mm. deals with a lot of, shall we call them, cold uh, entrepreneurs of ice or cold, uh, ex mm -hmm. uh, expeditioners, adventurers. Uh, one of the most memorable pieces in the book is, uh, is your section on Franklin's lost expedition in 1845. Tell me about this. Thank you. And why, in your mind, it's such an important moment in the history of ice or the history of well, the cold. I'm not sure that it's an important moment in the history of ice or cold. What I wanted to use with, 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 with the Franklin story, I, it, there, there, there are two key takeaways for me from that chapter. The, the, the first is about surviving in an environment that really doesn't want you to be there. And I, the Franklin expedition, um, shrouded in mystery as it is, um, is, the is, Arctic, is a which was the first of many western expeditions to conquer the arctic some more successful oh, well, well, than others well people have been sending expeditions into that part of the arctic to try and find a northwest passage to the indies um since the reign of henry the seventh i mean martin frobisher set out i think in 1497 or thereabouts um and and so and franklin himself had been twice before on various expeditions um and so it, this this was a it was a big deal to try and find a way around the top of the Americas um, to sort of cut the the, the the trade time to to, to China and Asia. Um, so so that's what they were actually looking for. Um, but what 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 I find fascinating about the Franklin expedition is how staggeringly poorly equipped they were for for the Arctic. Um, once they lost their ships, um, they not to put not to put too fine a point on it. Excuse me for using the language. They were fucked. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, most of their, their their clothes were made out of wool, which is particularly bad insulator in in, in an Arctic condition because you know once you, you you drag your sled as you're trying to walk out of the ice and you sweat bullets into, into the wool. When you stop, that's, that freezes. Um, and so, you know, you, you are staggeringly environmentally challenged. And what was, what, what's interesting to me about, about that is that nobody really thought about talking to the Inuits and the, 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 the indigenous people up there about how do you live in this environment? How do you survive? Well, they knew how to live. I mean, they've been living well, of course they did. in the ice. Um, but 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 Westerners didn't think to to ask, and that um, wasn't and and that was not untypical. They didn't ask about a lot of things. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Frederick Tudor, the entrepreneur who brought ice to Calcutta. I didn't know anything about this man. Oh, fascinating, fascinating character. How did he drag ice to Calcutta? Um, in a ship, basically, in eighteen thirty-three. Um, he started his. Where did he get the ice, ice from? New England. Frederick and how Tudor did he keep Boston. it stored for such a long time? He was quite the innovator in that regard. Frederick Tudor, he was um, he was born in New England in Boston. He um, was looking for a commodity to trade. Um, that, and he hit upon this idea of shipping initially ice to the Caribbean. And in 1806, he begins trying to trade ice to the tropics. 
it doesn't go well for him. It takes him a long time to really figure it out. Uh, but amongst his big innovations um, was the above ground ice house. Um, prior to Tudor, most ice houses were sunk into the earth, normally shaped like a sort of sugar loaf and big sort of conical things um, under the ground. But tu Tudor basically built these things up on stilts out of wood, insulated with sawdust, which is a brilliant, brilliant insulator. Sawdust works a lot like styrofoam mm. in, in, in this regard. It traps little particles of air, um, and air is a terrible conductor of heat. So you have a drain at the bottom, you have lots of sawdust around the outside, you have an air vent at the top to let out latent heat. And on that basis, you can store ice from a, for a very long time. If you take an ice cube and you put it just out on, on the side, somewhere like, like here in Chiang Mai, it will take quite a long time to melt, unless if you put it in water, it will melt much, much faster. And this was Tudor's big insight in how to store it. So they would harvest the ice every winter, normally between the months of January and March, um, in New England, cutting it out of lakes, transport it from the lake to um, an ice house, several ice houses in, in Boston by the harbour, load it into holds of ships, um, insulated again in loads of sawdust, sail the ship wherever you wanted to go, be it Calcutta, be it Jamaica, be it Cuba, be it New Orleans, um, unload it off the ship into an ice house and there you would sell it. And so he made a successful business exporting ice around the world from New England. Huge business. Um, yeah, I, New England was exporting millions of tonnes of ice by the end of the 19th century all around the world. And what about the role of William Durant, who is best known as the founder of General Motors and Chevrolet, but also invented, I think, the, the Frigidaire? How important was he in the history of ice? Well, he didn't invent the Frigidaire, um, but he bought the business. Right, very, so he bought the business. On. He, he realised the value of it. Yeah, in about 1918 or thereabouts. And, and, and so he, his... his financial muscle was massive in promoting fridges um, around the world. And, and, and the fridge in, in the United States is one of those extraordinary uh, products that was sort of depression proof. Um, people really wanted them uh, and, and were buying them throughout the 1930s. Um, I, it, it's not for nothing that America has been called the first refrigerated society. Um, fridges were huge huge in the 30s um and, well, and, and Durant, i mean huge you mean large or big deal a big deal um but a, a big bigger deal. deal then than they are now i mean i understand they transform life but is, is there a oh, house I, do you think there's a household in america which doesn't have a fridge i, I can't imagine one uh, i mean the irony <laughs> of all this fridge and ice in, in, in your history is on the one hand, it's transformed humanity, but on mm -hmm. the other hand, it's created an environmental crisis which is undermining ice itself. We did a show on technologies to confront our climate crisis, um, uh, wind and solar and so on. We've had a number of debates on that about whether we have the technologies and whether the economic system exists to develop this. Meanwhile, the ice all over the world is shrinking from 
the ice cap on Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa to the Greenland ice sheet. So we, we've turned well, a full circle, Fred, haven't we, in terms well, well, of technology which has enabled the creation of ice, which in turn has created a global warming crisis, which is destroying mm -hmm. the natural ice on, on the planet. Yeah, and, 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 and the staggering thing about that is you know, we, we talked about Franklin and, and the Northwest Passage. Um, people, you know, the container ship company Maersk is now shipping um, freight across what's called the Northern Sea Route through the Arctic over the top of Russia. Um, the ice has, has shrunk so much that suddenly the Arctic Ocean is a navigable possibility. I mean, this is even 10 years ago, this would be unimaginable. Um, and, and yes, it, it, it is the great irony is that, you know, we, we've taken, we've, we've learned how to make the cold, which has allowed us to, to, to eat better. Um, it's changed um, medical history substantially, which means there are more of us. And that pace places a massive burden upon our planet. Um, it's, it's one of the, 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 the things I find fascinating about the whole climate situation is, is, is as ordinary individuals, it, it's very hard to see how we make a difference. You know, how can I, one little human, affect So I was just planet. at the Techonomy Conference uh, last weekend. We did a number of mm. shows from there about how technology can be used to save ourselves from these various mm -hmm. existential crises of the 2020s. Could we? Yeah, I listened to a couple of those. They were fascinating. Uh, uh, is there technology that could replicate cold so that it can directly address the global warming crisis, or is that a rather absurd notion? Well, it's not entirely absurd. Um, there are some things that we could do quite quickly, which would help, most notably around methane emissions. Uh, methane is um, far more damaging than carbon dioxide, um, even to the atmosphere, even though there's, there's, there's less of it. Um, but you could do a number of things quite quickly to, to reduce methane consumption, but nobody's really talking about it. You could cap old coal mines where a lot of methane comes, um, things like that, which would be quite a quick fix. Um, but in terms of... Um, some kind of machine system to try and slow down climate change. I don't think that's necessarily possible. So um, are we at the but end it, of but it's, the... But, it, but, it, but it's, it, it, it's not so much about um, machines or, or that kind of thing. It's more about the global will to do it. Uh, I, we know what the problem is. We know what, how to fix it but we just don't seem to be bothered. And that is very annoying. Well, I, I think that people would use other words rather than annoying. <laughs> Fred, your book in part deals with the last 200 years of the history of ice, the glory yeah. years, I guess. Are we at the end then of the technological the of history of the invention of cold, of ice, or, or, or are there new potential technological boundaries that, future inventors, future Frederick Tudors or William Durant's will um, address? I, I, that's a very hard question to answer. I, I, the, the, one of the things about 
invention is that, you know, when people come up with stuff, they never always understand where it's going to go next. I'm Frederick Tudor, when he started shipping big blocks of ice around the world, had no conception of, of, of what was to come. He, he, he couldn't imagine the cool chain that allows us to ship food around the world. Um, he couldn't imagine the idea of air conditioning. He, he, th these things were completely baffling to him. Um, all, all he knew that was that if he could ship ice um, to hot places, people could enjoy cold things. Right? That, that, was, that was it. That was the, the, the whole basis of his, of, of his business plan. He writes in his letters very clearly about this. His whole strategy was predicated on taking ice which had been a luxury and making it a commonplace. Um, but where it went from then, he, he had no idea. So, so to say, are we at the end of um, invention for what we can do with the cold? Absolutely not. I mean, people are coming up with new brilliant things um, to do with the cold all the time. I, one, one of my things I was most fascinated about is um, the cold cap for newborn babies, which is probably one of the most staggering advances in uh, postnatal care to have been invented in the last 30 years. Um, and basically what it does is, is, is sometimes when a child is born um, in the process of birth, it's starved of oxygen. And this leads to brain damage, which you normally don't see in said child until they're about two. If in the birthing moment though, nowadays, um, they spot that this is that the child has been starved of, option, of oxygen. What they now do is they put a cold cap on its head and chill its brain. And a cold brain doesn't need as much ox oxygen as a warm brain. So this, in turn, basically prevents the brain damage from happening. Um, and this is a very, very new invention. And I, I um, stumbled across it. Um, a, a friend of mine's granddaughter had exactly this treatment and he told me about it while I was early in the research on the book and I thought wow this is extraordinary um so there are a, a number of areas where we can excuse me where we can still um find innovation in and around the cold I, I think in terms of our food and our nutrition we're pretty much done most of the things that we can do um Air conditioning could use a look. Most air conditioners are incredibly energy inefficient and um, that causes huge problems in terms of the amount of power that they use and therefore carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. Air conditioner efficiency would be something that I, if I was a scientist, would be very interesting in trying to figure out.